mixed up and backwards. The words the second time are pretty weighty to me. God shows up and he first, the first person he shows grace to in chapter 3 and 4 is not the Ninevites. It's Jonah. Right? God shows grace in chapters, uh, chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 first to Jonah, who is the disobedient prophet. Did Jonah uh, come to some conviction in his heart and decide to turn and go, after all, to Nineveh by his own choice? Is that the story that we read about last week? <laughs> no, right? He literally chose, he decided that he would rather die than to preach a message to the Ninevites. To such an extent, that wasn't just theory for him, right? He literally let a group of soldiers throw him off a boat into a raging storm when all he actually needed to do was pray to God and repent. It's a pretty powerful picture of what hardness of heart can do to a person, right? Yet, in spite of all of that, as he's sinking down into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, what happens? God appoints a great fish. Swallows Jonah. We often read the story because we've heard it before. We know the fish is coming, right? Understand me. Jonah did not expect to be swallowed by a fish. Jonah did not expect to survive this incident. But yet God saved him. Not only did God save him, God instructs or makes the fish vomit the Jonah up onto the sea, onto the shore, and speaks to him again. And to me, this is, this is the sign of grace, not mercy. What's the difference between mercy and grace? They're pretty closely connected, aren't they? Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Jonah deserved to drown in the sea. Right? He put himself there. God gave him plenty of opportunity to, to, to repent. He shook his fist at God and jumped in the water himself. Jonah deserved to die, but God saved him anyway. That's his mercy. God's grace shows up in that he doesn't just abandon Jonah on the shore and never speak to him again, because he could have done that, right? God could have saved Jonah, spit him up on the shore, and then found another better prophet and sent him to Nineveh. But instead, God shows up a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise. God came to Jonah the second time, regardless of, dis of his disobedience. Um, God came to Jonah a second time, regardless of the fact that God knew that his heart wasn't really changed. <laughs> um, we ended last week on a prayer that Jonah prays in the belly of the whale, right? And he sounds really penitent. He sounds like he's really sorry. He sounds like he's really learned his lesson. But what we're going to see in the chapter we're reading this morning is that he didn't. Like a little kid, he was sorry. Not that he did what he did. He was sorry that he got caught. 
He was sorry about the consequences of his actions. And his heart wasn't really changed. And we can see that easily in our kids and our grandkids, right? But this morning, I hope we can see maybe into our own hearts, right? The ways that we do the same kind of thing with God. And he, know, he knows the situation. He knows the state of our heart. And He continually shows not just mercy, which is not sending us to hell, <laughs> but on top of that, He gives us His grace. So that's the first person that receives God's grace in the story. Who's the second people? Well, it's actually numbers 1 through 150,000. Because... The next group that receives God's grace is the evil city, Nineveh, the great city, Nineveh. Let's read, let's continue to read on, verse 3. It says, So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh. We all throw a little party, right, for Jonah. So he finally obeys. <laughs> According to the word of the Lord, it says. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly Great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and he published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let, them, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily, to God, let everyone turn from his way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? There's a lot happening there. A lot of things coming full circle in the story, right? Jonah receives the, second, the same message a second time, and he goes and he delivers what is in the original language of Hebrew, a five-word sermon. Five words. Some of you wish I would preach a five-word sermon this morning, right? 
<laughs> um, I can't do it. I can't do a five-word sermon. I'm not creative enough. So what, what's happening here? Jonah shows up and he gives a very brief message. And the funny thing is we don't know. Was this what God instructed Jonah to say? Did Jonah come in and sort of half-preach what God was saying? There's a lot of different commentators that say a lot of different things. And in a lot of ways, you know, in asking the question, we might be missing the point. The point is that God shows up through Jonah with this message, and this evil people respond, and they repent. We, of course, in our thinking, in our New Testament thinking, say, praise the Lord. Amen. They repented. And God, God spared them. What a beautiful picture of his grace. But was that Jonah's response? Of course not. Jonah, it says, is exceedingly, it says that he was displeased exceedingly and that he was angry. He goes on and tells God why. And when we hear Jonah's prayer to God, we've been trained to think, well, here's a man who is hard-hearted and bitter and sinful, and we would be right. But the thing that we're missing is that to the original reader of the story, to the, to the, to the Jewish person in the, in, the, um, in the time that Jonah was living, they would have been just as ticked off as Jonah. The problem is we don't have any emotional connection to the Ninevites. They're an old ancient people that have all since died and their civilization, we don't know much about them. We're not really concerned about them. They're an interesting you know, item in a Bible story. But to Jonah, the Ninevites were a part of his daily life. They were somebody who showed up in his newsfeed. If he were to have a smartphone, they would be in his newsfeed, right? They were in the newspaper. They were bad dudes, people that you wouldn't want to mess with. God calls what the Ninevites did was evil. It's what he said. He says their evil has come up before me in chapter 1. Remember that? And the crazy thing is that word evil is the same word that God uses to describe another city that he actually did destroy, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Ninevites are not just that sort of not good people. These are evil people. There's a couple of historical examples that would help us to wrap our head around the feeling, right? This is like the Roman Colosseum. This is like Nazi concentration camps. This is the level of evil that the Ninevites were guilty of, of doing, right? The, it's, the, it's today's equivalent of the Muslim extremist group in North Africa, or the Russians in Ukraine, right? These are not good people. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which is now near the city of Mosul in Iraq. And Assyrian was known at the time as the most brutal empire that had ever existed. They, ter they terrorized their neighbors through all kinds of acts of terrorism, making siege on cities and starving out families, killing, doing terrible things. Words like brutal and predatory are often used in descriptions of what they were like. 
So I say all of that to help us understand that every God-fearing man or woman reading the book of Jonah in Jonah's day would have agreed with Jonah that the Ninevites deserved judgment and they would have felt like Jonah felt that they didn't understand why God would extend grace to them. And i got to tell you, i got to be honest, even as I typed these words on, that are on the screen this morning as I finished up this PowerPoint for today, it's hard to write something like, God shows grace to an evil city. But that's the story of the God that we serve. God agreed with Jonah that they were evil. But what's ironic is that even though God sent for 400 years prophets to his people Israel and they never repented, in hearing one five-word sermon from the prophet Jonah, the whole city repented in dust, cloth, and ashes. It reminds me of another story from the New Testament in Luke 23. Some of you would be familiar with it. It says in Luke 23, 39, this is the story of Jesus' crucifixion. It says that one of the criminals who were hanged with Jesus railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God. Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sense of condemnation? We indeed, uh, we indeed justly are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm sorry, I misread it. It said, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the, um, the thief on the cross, as we've come to know him, right, is this permanent picture in our minds of the grace and the mercy of God that Within in a moment of surrender at the end of someone's terrible, evil, no good life, God can and does show grace to evil hearts, to evil cities. Here's a man on the cross who we don't know what he did, but he did something bad enough that the authorities found him guilty enough to be sentenced to death on a cross. And he, yet he receives mercy in the last hour. These stories can bother us. They can bother our religious sensibilities because we subtly believe that we deserve God's grace. But those people over there don't. We have to understand what God was trying to communicate through the Apostle Peter when he said, God is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God wanted for Nineveh. It's also what God wanted for Jonah. I want to start to bring this home and ask this question. Is our lack of gospel witness, our, our inability to share Jesus with the people around us, really driven by a lack of compassion towards other people in their sin? Do we actually see ourselves as better 
than our neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus. It's easy to forget that our sin was just as worthy of God's wrath on the cross as the sin of the Ninevite, as the sin of any number of people that we could put on a list, right? Do we find it hard to extend grace and mercy to share this good news about grace with people around us? And the answer to that, I think, I can answer for all of us is yes. <laughs> it is hard if we're trying to do it in the flesh. But if we look at the stories like the one we have in Jonah and we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the sin in our own hearts, we'll start to see things the way God sees them, not as the way the world would have us see them. So we live in a world that constantly is bringing, bringing up and trying to push on us rage and anger and contempt for people who aren't like us. Those people we could label as Ninevites, right? But God would say, God, God looks down at the Ninevites and he sees something different. And that's what we see in the final, the final section, the final dialogue of the book that God shows grace even to the hard-hearted believer in Jonah. Look at verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. When you read booth, I want you to think about a tent, right? He made a tent. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that, he might, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Does it bug anybody else that the, that the book ends with a question mark? Am I alone in that? The, the book ends with God's statement of a question. And, and I think that he, he does that. God chose to do that on purpose. It's supposed to bug us a little bit. It's a little hook in our heart. It's a little question mark for us to ponder. God's asking this not just of Jonah, but I think he's asking this of every single person that's ever read the book. 
Jonah leaves the city because he doesn't want to get struck by lightning. He doesn't want to be a part of the invasion. He leaves the city and he watches from a distance. And I want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever camped outside for more than like a day? Okay, I want, like most of us, if we're going to camp outside for more than like a day, unless we're in the military or, you know, or some other field that would require us contractually to do that, right? Most of us, if we're going out to do that, it's for recreation for maybe a night or two, and it's going to be somewhere where the weather's nice and there's a view, right? That's what we do. But guess what? Jonah was not camping at Silver Spring State Park, right? He was not camping in the forest in some nice place with a bathroom. He's camping outside Mosul, Iraq, where the heat in the summertime is somewhere between 98 and 120 degrees is the high temperature in Mosul in the summertime. We don't know what time of year it was, but we do know one thing from what the story tells us. It was hot and it was sunny. You got to have some kind of reason to be out in heat like that, right? You got to be sure that there's a reason for you out there. Jonah's out there parked like the people that get out there early before the parade to get their spot, right? Out there waiting for the fireworks show. He's got his tent, he's got his lawn chair. And there's this whole weird play that happens, right? God sends a plant to shade Jonah. Even in the middle of his hard-heartedness, even in the middle of his hatred towards the Ninevites, God still sends a plant to comfort him. Does that bug anybody? Anybody else like me think if I was God, I'd let the guy bake a little bit? Maybe get a nice little sunburn going first? But that's not the God we serve. God sends his, his prophet, his hard-hearted prophet, a shade tree. But then, what happens? Just like he sent the plant that miraculously sprung up in a day, he sends a little worm. And those of us that garden know how much we hate those little worms, right? We work so hard on that plant, and then one night we come out and the whole thing's torn to shreds. Why? Because bugs came and ate it. And so that happens to Jonah's new favorite plant. And what happens? What's Jonah's reaction? He, he's angry, right? Is he really angry about the plant? Well, yes, but let's, let's be honest. This is a continual, this is an extended temper tantrum about what God did to the Ninevites, isn't it? You ever have, a, you ever have an argument with your spouse or, or have a discussion with your kids that was about something small and insignificant, but you know really deep down it was actually about that other thing that happened earlier? That's what's happening here. So God is dripping on Jonah. God is trying to push into Jonah to show him, to teach him something. And I'm glad that he did because we learned from it, right? And the, the lesson, the final lesson of the book of Jonah comes down to two words, anger and pity. Anger and pity. Anger was God, or Jonah's response to God's grace towards the Ninevites. Right? Isn't that what it said? He was angry. Pity 
is the word that God uses twice in the end of the book to talk about two things. He talks about a plant, and he talks about the Ninevites. He says, Do you, is, it, is it right for you? He says in verse 10, The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity the Ninevites? When you and I hear that word pity, we kind of, it's, pity is a funny word, right? Because it's, like, it's a, sort of a negative thing. If you pity somebody, it's sort of like you care about them, but sort of in a sarcastic way, right? Like, I have to care about them because of, you know, how fill in the blank. But the word that's being used here that the translators are calling pity is actually this. It's to choose to cover up or to protect somebody that's vulnerable because of your compassion for them. It's a, it's a love word. And, and what, what, what God says to Jonah is you are able to have love and to wish you could protect and to cover up and care for this vulnerable plant that was eaten by that worm and taken out by that scorching wind I sent. But what you can't do is pity people? See, that's messed up, Jonah. (laughs) And we all from this side of the story can see, man, that's messed up, Jonah. But how many times do we do the same kind of thing? We care about our financial situation. We care about our family. We care about our career. We care about all the little things that are important to us and really only us. But what God sees is the much bigger picture, right? And what he saw in the Ninevites was vulnerable people, people who had believed a satanic lie and who needed to know about a God of grace. And so God pitied Nineveh. When we see people far from God doing evil, are we driven, like Jonah was, to anger? Or do we have God's response, and do we show pity? I don't mean pity in that sense that we we understand that word. I mean that in the Jonah sense. Do we want to protect, do we want to cover up their vulnerability because of the love that God's put in our heart towards them? Also this, do you understand that when we fall short of His glory, when we sin, God is not primarily angry with us, but He instead shows love and compassion towards us. Some of us, we believe. We believe God's angry with us this morning. (laughs) Know that God is a God of wrath, and He does punish sin. But even evil Nineveh, God could show compassion towards. And he shows compassion towards your heart this morning and every day. And as we close, we said that Jonah, you know, Jonah makes us feel a lot of different things. It might make us feel convicted. It might leave us confused. It might land us in all kinds of different places. But perhaps this is the thing that we're supposed to leave with when we read that question at the end of the book.
that we serve a God who is able to use weak, wrong-headed, misguided people like Jonah, like me, and like you for his purpose. He shows grace not just to the Ninevites, he shows grace to the disobedient prophet. And he even shows grace and love towards Jonah, who says, I like you, God, I just don't like your kids. Will you pray with me? God, we know the people in our lives who we struggle to love. More than that, we struggle to not want wrong for them. We struggle with a heart of hatred or a heart of contempt towards somebody in our neighborhood or in our workplace. And God, sometimes those enemies, those people that we struggle with are actually your greatest gift towards us because they help us to see what's broken in us. So Father, I pray this morning that we would repent. We wouldn't follow Jonah's example, that we instead would see the brokenness in our hearts and be moved to change. Be moved to to see the, the people in this world we've labeled as enemies, as people in need of your grace, just like us. That we would never get to the point where we would think that we somehow deserve your love, but those other people over there don't. I believe when we do that, you'll, you free us up to be able to be a part of sharing your love with them. I pray that you would move in my own heart. Lord, help me to see people the way you see them, to show compassion, even when it doesn't make sense, even when they don't deserve it, because guess what? None of us do. Thank you for this message that's so timely to our day and our, uh, the news in our life. I pray that we would you'd shepherd our hearts as we deal with the heartbreak of what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on in Texas, what's going on in... All of these things are the result of sin. And we pray, Father, that you would come. Lord Jesus, that you would show up and that you would, that you would change people's hearts as only you can. You change none of his hearts so you could change this world today. You could change this city, Ocala, Father. We pray that you would do that. That you would stir up revival in this place. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who came. Pray that you would bless them in, in their endeavors this week. And that you would be our good shepherd as you always are. In Jesus' name, amen.